Welcome to Combos from the Couch by Life Stance Health, where each episode covers the many facets of mental health and well-being. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Combos from the Couch by Life Stance Health. I'm Nicolette Lianza, and on this episode, I'll be talking with Melinda Zapone, a clinician from our Terrytown, New York office, and we'll be talking about her experiences with trauma-informed care. So welcome back, Melinda. Always great to have you on. Thanks, Nikki. It's really great to be here. Even therapists need therapy too, especially as we navigate our own personal issues. So I'm really looking forward to our conversation today, Melinda, as we talk about how therapists are people too, right? Definitely a follow-up from our previous episodes Yes, well. hopefully I'm more of a person than I was last time <laughs> and and more of a therapist too. That's all what we're trying to do, just continue to to expand our horizons with things for sure. I know you've been on before, but tell us a little bit yeah. about yourself and also about your project Enya. Yeah, it's funny thinking because you give me a general idea of what the questions are. And I thought to myself, you know, how do I describe myself? Who am I? I think. I guess I went down a little bit of an existential hole because I was thinking to myself, who am I now? I could say the credentials that I have, but I think with Project Enya, which basically stands for Everyone Needs You Always, E-N-Y-A, and it's basically a kind of my experience being a therapist through the pandemic, losing my mom in the pandemic, both to the pandemic situation in a way, but her cancer, and then realizing that although I'm a trauma therapist because of lived experience with therapy and trauma, I also had repressed trauma that kind of opened up when my mom passed away. And it really made me feel like who I am is someone who, we call it in our profession, does doing the work. Mm -hmm. Um, When an individual comes into therapy, it's oftentimes when they're working through trauma, it's like the work. And I feel like I'm someone who has never shied away from the work, even in the middle of being like 17 year therapist and then realizing I have to go back to therapy. I knew deep down it could break me, but it's also not going to be, if if it breaks what I was, it's going to be something, I don't want to say better because it's not like that, but that's who I am. So I, I do have a lot of, I have credentials, um, but I I feel like I've been this person who is a good model in a way for, hey, you're coming to session and I am asking you to do the work and we're not just getting rid of symptoms. Right. But I'm also, I'm munchkin to my sister. I'm Melinda to my brother. I'm Auntie Melinda. I'm just Melinda. And I feel like I'm, I, I always want to be like a feeling to someone. So when they walk away, I don't want them to be like, oh, I met with my trauma therapist or alphabet soup at the end of my name. Right. I feel like I want them to have a felt experience of getting closer to themselves, like right. through the interaction with me. My gosh, Melinda, or should I call you Melins? I like Melins. <laughs> no, I love that. I love that because it's truly what we remember. We what we remember about interactions isn't what was necessarily said, but how we felt about it. It sounds like you definitely look at in your therapy sessions with your clients. It's about the feeling they're walking away with about yourself, about the therapy, the whole work. So love that. 
And now that I've, I've been to therapy many times, but recently going back for such an intensive reworking of my whole like childhood, I'm realizing how hard it is to be an individual in therapy. Mm-hmm. And the littlest thing, I remember one time being devastated because a patient like rejected me. They didn't want to come to therapy because they said, I think it's moving too fast. Like we're only three sessions in and I feel like I'm moving a little too fast. I want to take a break. And I remember being devastated. Mm. But now that I've gone back to therapy, I realize I wasn't in tune with that person. I was probably more in tune with what I wanted for Mm -hmm. them. And again, so that felt experience is so important because you have to not go where you want to go with the individual, but read them out, feel them out. So important. No, I agree. As we're jumping in here, I want to start our conversation. So talking about trauma-informed care, talking about just trauma in general, how therapists navigate their own, how we help guide our clients as well. But let's first go with the term holding trauma. Yeah. Tell me what that means, holding trauma. Okay. So this concept is like evolving literally as we speak in the kind of common like research-based situation that we're in, like collective understanding, we are all very familiar now with fight, flight, or freeze. They've added fawning onto it. This is like the trauma response that danger is in your life somehow as you see it. And it can, it's a physical experience. It's a body experience. We, we know now that like all experiences are a physical experience before they're a mental experience. And so depression is held anxiety is yeah. held stress is held so we're we're definitely realizing that there's a a brain chemistry that happens with our experiences and there's a there's a tissue there's a cellular tissue experience that happens with trauma so that's understood now but and I didn't think I was going to do this but just an anecdote kind of sure. thing is coming up into my mind where we're headed i think is So they did this experiment where they studied women with anxiety. They studied three experiences, kind of women with anxiety, fear situations happening. Mm -hmm. And one experience, they scan the brain as the woman is going through the experience alone. And 12 centers of the fear areas of the brain lit, lit up. Then they did a brain scan of a woman going through that experience and a stranger is holding her hand. Hmm eight areas of the brain lit up in the fear activation center. And then they did a brain scan of a woman holding the hand of a partner, an intimate partner, and four areas of the brain Uh, lit up. mm -hmm. Um, So I use that as an example because now what we understand is that obviously you're always going to, your brain and your body is going to log experiences, but sometimes the level of fear getting trapped in your system and not being processed is the issue. Yeah. And the way we view something helpful like therapy now is not to say that I am this external element that's going to comfort you and fix you through it, but more this idea that you need a certain amount of safety around your difficult experiences or else they will Mm -hmm. get locked and you'll Mm -hmm. be holding it in certain patterns. So case in point today, this podcast that I'm doing today, in a way, is my trauma response. I struggle with holding trauma in the sense of when I feel danger, I go to making everybody else okay. 
it's wonderful that I can transform that into making sure myself is okay and knowledgeable about trauma and experience mm -hmm. with trauma to do this podcast. But if I was just like helping everybody at home and being a therapist without that kind of body centeredness, that could yeah. go very the wrong way and be like the bad trauma response. Fair point. Fair so point. now what we're learning is holding trauma is not such a bad thing. We're all holding experiences, but whatever pattern you use to regulate the danger and get it back to an okayness in your system mm -hmm. is really important. And then also that becomes a healthy pattern that you can repeat. And to use the other example of the study, you also want it to be an experience that has a relational component that someone is in your sphere yeah. while you're able to do that. Right, and right. if you're asking them for help, like a mm -hmm. therapist holding trauma, therapist holds space. Yes. Your trauma. Yes. And, and that's the term definitely familiar with that I've used with my own holding space for them of that term for sure. Yeah. So lately I say to my, the people that I do therapy with, as I say, I'm not, I'm a therapist and try not to say like my therapist, because it's like, you're the therapist, right? I'm the agent that helps you see the therapist in you. Even when they, we talk about my trauma or being a survivor, it's like moving through experiences. So again, to capitalize on like holding trauma is transforming. As we're saying, you've been holding it. That's the story. Now you're going to, yeah, you still hold it, but like you let it down and you pick it back yeah. up and you move through it. What does it mean to be trauma-informed as a person versus a therapist? And can these overlap? Can they both yeah. overlap between the two? Yeah. Traditionally, trauma-informed is defined as at any point of contact with an individual, you're to assume that they're carrying something difficult. So if mm -hmm. they're coming to pay their copay, you're assuming that they need love and care even in that transactional moment. Right. If they're being a no-show and you want to remind them that there's a fee for the no-show, you are doing that assuming that there's a tr there's a, a troubling issue that could have yeah. been going on that that caused that. In the larger sphere, which I think a lot of people in all systems are talking about now, being trauma-informed is like assuming that we're in each other's care. If I do the work, and this is very basic, but if I do the work to open the door for you, like then I'm assuming that work will be handed off and that we're all doing the, the best amount of working on ourselves as we can, mm -hmm. even if... Um, one person modality is different. Some people are going to therapy. Other people are taking the first vacation they've taken in seven years. So trauma-informed care now is assuming that we're all carrying some type of emotional burden that is impacting the day-to-day -day interaction. And you really want to hold space for the fact that person is in general doing the best they can. Right. If at that moment it's activated and out, that is not like an affront to you. That right. is not like that person. Right. Don't take it personal. And and the same to you. Very Internally, true. Um, Trauma-informed care is to assume that there's not a good, bad duality on the inside of you as well. 
How do you assess how trauma affects your own nervous system now that you are better at navigating your own trauma? This is a tricky one. I've only recently gotten better at picking up on the difference between intuitive, intuiting someone else's trauma and where I am nervous for them. So as a therapist, sometimes I can really, as the person is sharing, I can click onto what they're going through, possibly other people that are holding trauma in the storyline for them. And mm -hmm. then I can feel a little bit like I need to take them here. They're focused on the wrong thing. That's, it's new for me to be able to be like, just stick with where they're saying the right. danger is because right. they have to work through that to see the other thing. If I see it for them, that's my system seeing right. it and not learning. Right. But I do feel like being trauma sensitive myself to my own issues has brought up the value of, or the difference between there's really a lot of value in coping with trauma. So the breath work, the yoga, somatic forms of therapy, even I would say like diet and healthy relationships, those are all coping and even the word healing, because it suggests maybe people with holding trauma are just like extra wounded or something like that. But I think that trauma informed as a person versus a clinician is melded for me. And I feel like I'm always sensitive to whatever is getting activated. Mm -hmm. Something, and I know some people are going to disagree with this, but something is getting activated all the time. So we don't fix people's wounds or don't like heal trauma. I think it's more that if you take the example of wishing that someone had been there through the trauma. So let's say somebody gets molested in childhood and you just wish that immediately, like there was that person there. Now it is teaching people that, yeah, you're the person who's there. You can't go back in time right. and erase the trauma, but every time it's activated and it frequently will be, it's you, you're the parent. Right. Not to mean that we're an individualistic culture and that it's you're on your own, but it's just so very important that if you're leaning into someone else and you're saying, I just got triggered, you also know what you need because that inner parent is there being like, I just got triggered and I don't need to talk about it. I just mm -hmm. need you to give me a hug. I need, you, I need you to listen to music with me. I need you to give me some space today. I need you to not have your own story pasted on what is happening for me. No, I agree. How does PTSD or trauma pattern develop? This is, goes back into big T and little t. Big T trauma some, is like a single incident that, of course, obviously can have devastating effects and trigger the more traditional PTSD where you really can viscerally re-experience that event and even have an additional symptoms and disorders attached to that, OCD, eating disorders. But then there's also the really now what we're learning from the pandemic and all the things that were going on inside of that collective trauma is that there's like a little T trauma in the sense that it's more things that accumulated. So danger, difficult experiences that accumulated. And 
this is really like a relational trauma. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. trauma is always like trapped danger. The thing with accumulated trauma, complex trauma, little teased trauma, relational trauma, like we're all, it's all the same scope right. is that your sense of what's dangerous and safe is turned upside down and it's we can know what is safe in our head like I should not be alone tonight my the anniversary of my mother's passing for example Mm -hmm. and then that actually not feeling okay so I know I shouldn't be alone but in my system it doesn't feel okay I feel like I'm gonna have to talk I feel like I'm gonna have to smile I feel like I'm gonna have to not be too sad whatever it is when we talk about fight, flight, or freeze, those are real situations. But then there's also an experience of how trauma forms a pattern. Mm-hmm. For me, it was always make sure everybody else is okay, be that okay person. Not to disclose too much, but something that had happened to me was in the context of a fun situation. Mm-hmm. So in some ways, it's not what happened to me, but the fact that I had to go out and be like, I'm still having fun, uh, really fun. Okay. And the way I had to be hyper vigilant and feel like this is a fun event and some people get to sit down, but I can't sit down because I have to keep this act up. So that's also very important in terms of PTSD or just having the diagnosis of trauma. Sometimes lately we now call it relational trauma or complex right. trauma. It's this pattern that you're trapped in of dealing with all sorts of situations that really requires a therapist and therapy, not because of the fixing, because you can, that person can help you see it as only you can see it. Yeah. So if I'm yeah. like, if like, how would I go up to someone and be like, my trauma is everything's fine. Like, how is that your trauma? The trauma is the childhood thing. That right. Happened. Right. The pattern is really yes. feeling from. Yeah. That pattern is actually not safe, but it's been imprinted in my system as safe. Right. And that has all right. sorts of consequences as I go through my life. I, I love this term, that term, it's been imprinted on you. It makes me think of people pleasers. You know, yes. there's people pleasers who don't recognize that's really a lot of that is rooted in trauma. Yes. You know? Yes. And so we go circle around to being trauma informed is recognizing those annoying characteristics in somebody else, like it's very likely a pattern of dealing with how do I feel okay in my system with all my experiences. So if someone is too aggressive, too sherry, too cold, too closed off, like these are most likely trauma patterns. Yep, yep. I'm sure you've had this experience with clients. I know I have where maybe we're starting to meet and we're meeting consistently and we're unpacking things. And I'm definitely seeing things very much from a trauma-informed lens and sharing with them, wow, that sounds like trauma to me. And they're like, what now? What trauma? Like they're so astounded that I'm looking at what they're sharing with me as trauma-related. And sometimes it really blows the door open for a lot of clients who didn't even realize they've been navigating trauma. Have you felt the same? Have experienced the same? Definitely. And so I've like even changed the language of saying, I, I feel like a lot of times I'm trying to tell people or show people you went through something around your family but alone and if you have any experience like that let's talk about it where the sense that you have of oh no one would think my parents argued but I know they did 
they mm-hmm. argue like silent arguing in front of me multiply that by 12 years and you having to pretend for your parents that it's not really an argument you can't tell your friends because your parents don't really argue these things actually do become like a trauma yeah so I start to talk to people about whatever you feel like you experienced and there was like no one there um Mm -hmm. to help you through it Mm -hmm. it it, it, that feeling of I'm all alone is actually trauma yeah in and of itself yeah yeah Yeah, Yeah. for sure can you tell us a little bit more about the difference between little t and big t traumas just to clarify Mm -hmm. a little bit more for those who maybe don't understand the difference definitely so again a lot of times people associate like the a rape a catastrophic event a like worldwide pandemic, those are what we call like big, tra- big T's traumas. Right. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot is very much linked to obvious symptoms like dissociation and even sometimes like psychosomatic factors to it, headaches, stomach aches, panic things attacks. Like that. Yeah. yeah. What little T trauma, and again, this little T trauma is like evolving as we speak. Um, mm-hmm. And I think the biggest uptick like we've seen in manifestations of um, little t trauma are droves and droves of couples coming to couples therapy little t trauma seems to be really now manifesting in relationship problems loneliness disconnection right right. and not being able to um, sustain a meaningful relationship in Mm -hmm. some ways we are just educated more about what a real relational joy is these days. And so we are craving it more. So that's still got to have some research done is (laughs) are more little T traumas happening? Are we just understanding more what we need in terms of relational joy and that lack of with going through life with difficult experiences, the trauma, Mm -hmm. because life, if even if you're a squirrel, you're going to have scary experiences Mm -hmm. living your life. But we are starting to possibly realize that since we didn't know how to connect, since we don't know how to be in relational joy with other people, everything's always got to be, you're a man, I'm a woman, you're a Democrat, I'm a Republican, like everything is always divided. Mm-hmm. We don't know if now that the combination of going through difficult things and then never having that kind of connection that does actually help you feel safe is contributing to what we call little t trauma. Mm -hmm. But we definitely do know that the deal with big t trauma is that more classical war, what what did they call it when they came home from war? I think it was at first it was shell-shocked. Shell-shocked, yeah. Yeah. And the little t trauma is being much more relational. Yeah. feel like cut off from the ability to find love. Sounds like you take a trauma-informed perspective on most things now. How does that work for you? Oh my gosh, it's so rewarding. I again, this is just like stupid human examples, but I promised myself I wouldn't like over prepare so that I could be genuine. I was on so I joined a hiking group because I realized that although it's very important as a therapist to not hold um everybody's stuff, and I was a very for years like a lone hiker going three hour hikes by myself. It occurred to me one day that might actually be part of my trauma and that there was no 
reason why I was not making it relational at least once in a while. Like it, I was just so religiously like alone with it. So I did, I joined a hiking group and I realized that this way of, I don't know, I guess see, watching myself connect to people as the point of the hike, mm-hmm. it was like, it's like a healing going on these hikes. Yeah. And it, it, for me, it was just so trans- transformational because I always thought of like exercise as like just good for your body. And then it was years later when it transformed into the thing I need to do because I'm a trauma therapist and I need to just make sure I get out into nature. It really wasn't until recently, until I went back to therapy and I realized that like that conversation that happens during the hike. And then when someone says to me, this is the best hike that I've ever been in. I think it was the conversation. My whole system just goes like, wah, wah. Mm. I'm just like, oh my God, that's why I'm doing this. That's right. It's today. Right. I'm, I think there are some people that don't need therapy for that, that don't need to be a therapist for 20 years. But I did because I had the trauma. So there was just very certain circumstances where in which I would feel safe. And because safety took so much for me, the connection actually didn't really happen. Mm -hmm. These days, that kind of holding trauma myself, but also recognizing another layer of what needs to happen for people Mm -hmm. is really important because I'm thinking to myself, so as a therapist, for years, I've been helping people like identify their trauma that they even had it. But I feel now that and maybe it's because of the pandemic and what we've been through. I feel now that people want to be whole. Mm. So people coming to therapy, it feels not right for me to be like, okay, so your panic attacks are gone. Okay. So that one argument that's repeating in your marriage isn't happening anymore. Great. That's a successful treatment. This is so different. The type yeah. of therapy that I'm doing now. It's is a deeper therapy. Yeah. Right. It's not just like you said, coping skills. It's more than that. Yeah. It goes much deeper. Yeah. Which and there there's very valuable when therapists are doing that kind of work, that's important too, because you're not wholehearted healing every minute of every day. You sometimes definitely need the coping skills, the coping mechanisms, when to use them. Mm-hmm. But I think when you ask me the question of how does you being you know, healed or in healing or using mm-hmm. these tools manifest into the services that you're giving. It's go to my colleague for the coping skills. I can't do it anymore. I have to do like the sh- full shebang type of thing mm-hmm. now. And it's just because I've been doing that, I also have to, it, it's almost like a positive feedback loop where I have to still be doing the work um, and making sure that I'm staying on top of my healing in order to provide that does become difficult sometimes when I'm thinking about even collaborating with colleagues, because every type of therapist has their role in somebody's journey. Mm-hmm. And I do mm-hmm. think that's where we need to start helping patients more, which is diagnosing where you are mm-hmm. and what kind of therapist matches with that because people are not always ready. And in fact, what we're really learning 
I think we should just educate the entire world about this is it's very possible that you will go back to therapy at least three times in your life. If it, Mm -hmm. or sometimes people will go for the one time, possibly when they're like 62. So we really have to educate therapists that it's okay if you're not the right kind of therapist for the person and also educate people going to therapy. Let's see if we can help people with tools to know what they want. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not like the medical model where you go to the doctor, you get weighed and they're like, "Mm, your BMI is not in the healthy. It's more like you go and you say, I know my marriage looks unhealthy, but really I have early trauma and I want to treat that and help these tools so they can come to therapy with more of what they know they need to work on, which is being trauma-informed as well, being able to trust the the person that's coming, Mm -hmm. Um, where I think sometimes that's the the bad stigma about therapy is that maybe you get even looked down upon when you come. What do you you think you need to work on that? We'll tell you through the assessment what you need to work on. That's the fear to work on something that you don't want to work on. Any other takeaways you'd like to share? Takeaways that I would like to share. Ask questions when you come into therapy. Um, Try to push through that you can't say something. Um, Not so much to hurt the the therapist feeling, because I think that that's more how my personality would feel. But I do think that there's there it, you are really you're dealing with a real person. But mm-hmm. the difference between interacting with a real person is they really have your emotional safety at interest. And if anything is hurting or feeling weird or intimidating or judgmental, Try and have the courage to say something because that just 100% is not the intent of the space. Um, and so you just, I just want to give everybody permission to just try yeah. and get, try and think of yourself as for the first time in your life, being really able to create like your own little tank for yeah. whatever you want to work on. And to feel safe to be able to do, yeah. you know? Yeah. My gosh, Melinda, thank you so much. I I really appreciate your vulnerability as we talk today too, of being vulnerable to share your own experiences. And I think that made it for an even deeper conversation that we had about this topic. So yeah, I feel it's so important during the pandemic. I think a lot of people did this, but I realized that I was writing so much. And I think to myself, I think I'm writing a book, but when we talk about like therapists or people too, it's not, Hey, we're people too. Come on. It's more, no, I get it. It is so hard to talk about your stuff. It's so hard. Like my therapist, I think rolls her eyes at me all the time because I want to do the work and then show it to her. Be like, this is what I figured out. And it's very hard for me to let her in, especially with, I do telehealth. So I also provide telehealth. Sometimes it's really hard for me to not feel like I'm still performing therapy. This Mm -hmm. is the work I did. I I worked on my inner child. Here I go. And I think it's just really hard for people to look at themselves and then ask for someone else to see almost in a way deeper than they do because we have all these defenses. We're not going to go there. So the trust is really important. And sometimes you're not, you're not really matched with 
all the elements that are going to make you safe. So that's tricky too, because you never know your therapist might wear a hat to session one day and you're like, oh, that makes me think she's like this kind of a person. Can I open up to that kind of a person? And the weirdest things can make you feel unsafe. So right. I just want everybody to realize that that's super normal. Mm-hmm. Let that in, talk about that. Sometimes don't have an agenda and just yeah. let yourself talk about stream of consciousness. The weird so. thing. Yeah. 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 I agree. My gosh, thank you so much again. Thank you for sharing. Always appreciate having you on and I look forward to having you on again. Thank you. I really appreciate it as well. It's just, it's really great to have the opportunity to just be both a person and a therapist. So I really appreciate it so much. You're welcome. I'd also like to thank the team behind the podcast, Jason Clayton, Juliana Whitten, and Chris Kelman with a special thanks to Jason Clayton who edits our episodes. Take care, everyone.